It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Football Social Daily. Premier League Preview. Hello and welcome to the Football Social Daily. This is the Premier League Preview Show where we look ahead at all the games taking place this weekend. Some big matches which we're going to focus on. Shortly looking at United versus Liverpool and all the other games. Plus, we're also going to be looking at who is the dirtiest team in Premier League history and putting forward our own choices for who should be in that team. I'm Ant McGinley and helping me do that tonight, we have Rich Johnson, who's uh, head of sport at Sporf and a disillusioned Blackburn fan. <laughs> Absolutely. Venky's out. Uh, speaking of fans of teams that you almost forgot won the Premier League, it was that long ago. We also have Jay Mottishead. Straight in with that. He doesn't waste any time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Full Times Devils podcast, all about what's the team? <laughs> yeah, and, yes. yeah, and uh, resident sports social journalist Virgil Brennan. Good evening. Good evening. Hello. How are you all, gentlemen? You good? You excited? Very excited. I'm glad for, for the main football to be back. Some tasty games this weekend. Yeah, very big. And let's get dive straight in, shall we? So Liverpool coming to Old Trafford. Let's be honest, Jam, can we come to you straight off the bat? It's not looking good just from the outside point of view. Liverpool, they've got daylight at the top. And amazingly, if the results go the wrong way for you this weekend, United could be in the bottom three. Yeah, I mean, this is probably the the game I've been dreading for the longest I can remember, to be honest with you. We were doing a preview before and I can't remember feeling so sort of pessimistic going into a, a Liverpool game. We were trying to sort of p- predict an 11 and with the injuries we've got, the players that we're sort of relying upon um, and some of the, the sort of the players that, just been out of form recently as well. The results we've had, it's just you know, it's it's not looking good. I mean, this reminds me of sort of David Moyes going into the Liverpool game when he said, you know, they'll be favourites, and everyone laughed at him. Well, now Liverpool are heavy favourites. I think United are about four to one, which is unheard of for a home game in the Premier League. But you can understand why Liverpool are flying. United are all at sea, and we're missing our two most talented players in David de Gea and Paul Pogba. Regardless of what you think of him. They, they are two, arguably our only two world-class players and neither of them are going to be playing. So, yeah, it's not looking great and I just feel I'm, I'm, I'm worried. Last time we did the show together, it was just before the uh, Arsenal-Man United game. Yeah. And, we, and we were talking about how that game 
isn't as exciting <laughs> as it used you to be. You compared it to U2's latest <laughs> album. That, I never remember that one. <laughs> so, uh, we, we all went home and listened yeah, to U2's. Yeah, it used to like Glastonbury. Now it's like U2's album. I yeah. don't forget that D- one. Delete it off my iPhone, please. <laughs> um, so, but the thing is, now maybe it's just because I'm a City fan, so I'm going to put it to, to you guys. Um, I find this game more exciting. And uh, is that possibly because obviously it has more impact on my team? Or is it just because that if something's going to happen for United, it kind of has to happen in this game? Yeah, I think it's one of those. The game's always got attention and profile around it. What's interesting is Liverpool didn't go for it last year when the opportunity was there. They actually didn't go for it when they when they played United at Old Trafford. So this year, I'd be so disappointed if they didn't go all guns blazing to try and win the game because again, United were on the ropes at the same point last year, and um, and yeah, it's sort of just they they were a little bit. Um, sort of numb obviously like December was a big tipping point when uh, when obviously Mourinho ended up going but uh, yeah I think you know it's it's always a, a, a huge game with big profile and uh, I don't know as a Blackburn fan as I say it doesn't have much impact for me but yeah for you it could, could be a big one I mean looking at it you're looking at Alisson potentially coming back um, and the, no real injury worries for Liverpool was as, as you said you're going to miss Pogba you're going to miss De Gea Um is, is, is there any way, Fergal, you can see United actually beating Liverpool? Um, I'm going to pretend to answer that question with answering a different question. I think to, to give Jay a bit of a, a kind of chink of light in all this... I need one. I, uh, I, well, I, I live in Liverpool and work in Manchester, so you know I know a lot of Liverpool fans, and, and any, any of them that I've spoken to in the last couple of weeks, they're as scared about this game as you are, Jay, for different reasons. Yeah, they know they're, they're the better side at the moment and the top of the league and blah, 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 but... This is still the game they dread, regardless. They don't dread Everton to this level. They don't dread Arsenal. They don't dread City. This is still the game. And no Liverpool fan is taking this at all lightly. And I think that'll be the message that Klopp will be giving to the players before they go out at Old Trafford. And to, to go back to, could there be a potential for winning? Yeah. I mean, I've said for the last couple of weeks, Liverpool. I, I don't see Liverpool going the entire season unbeaten. I don't see United winning. I do see the way that the game is going to go and the way recent games between them have been because United, unfortunately, have been on a downward slide. They know they have to dig in, they have to sit in, they have to scrap. If they get a penalty or a set piece and they can get a draw, score draw, that's a big result for them in the current context. No offence, Jay. It no, is. I mean, I think... yeah. You, and I, and I, would, I would... I would. No, I was just going to say that's, that's where I would lean towards this because I think everything is, is leaning on Solskjaer at the moment. If they lose, particularly if they lose heavily... He could be in for a really, really tough couple of weeks. So it's it's absolutely imperative that they don't get beat. What worries me is, going back to what Rich was saying about last season, United had three injuries, I think, in the first half. We had Marcus Rashford hobbling around. And Liverpool never really went for it. Yeah. It was like they thought, a point at Old Trafford is still a great result for us. So let's get a point. Where they'd actually gone for it. Because at the time, United were just starting to lose games. We just had that the euphoria of Paris and we just started to get a couple of ropey results, but we were still in that sort of happy stage of, oh, Ollie's at the wheel and everything's great. And I think Klopp thought, well, take a point here. This isn't a bad result. And obviously we were thinking, well, we've got all these injuries. We think we made three substitutions in the first half, so we couldn't make any more. Marcus Rashford, as I said, wasn't wasn't fit. And, it, you know, it's, they sort of played into our hands almost and a point suited us. We thought, right, we'll take a point. You know, we don't want to get beat at home off Liverpool. If they look at that and they think we missed, we dropped two points there because it actually affected their title running because City yeah, was completely. Yeah. I mean, that that was the the thing that damaged Liverpool's title run was the amount of draws that they got last season, and you can see that now the way the way they're playing this season is. I I don't think they're planning to drop any points at all, if possible. I know that's like an obvious, ridiculous fantasy thing to have, but the the way they're coming at teams, which frightens me for United. 
Well, it does. I mean, if I was to take a small crumb of comfort, could it be from the fact that, you know, they haven't been quite at the races at all the games they've been in? I thought Sheffield United, they were quite lucky. It was a Dean Henderson money gaff mm. that, that gave them the, the win there. But they're doing that old thing of winning matches without even playing well, which is always I mean, title. You're, you're clutching at straws a little bit there, Joe, oh, yeah. because they, they, they've only kept uh, two clean sheets. Um, is it Burnley and Sheffield United they kept yeah. clean sheets against? Um, so oh, I, I don't know if that's they're kind of teams that are around your level at the moment. Oh, <laughs> that's an insult to them. Yeah, yeah. But Burnley are flying compared to you. But yeah, I, I, I wish I could argue with this point, but we're not in we're not in great form. But listen, the crowd will be up for it. This is regardless of what goes on with City and everything else. The, the, the biggest game for me in the season is always the Scouts, is always United sure, versus sure, Liverpool. You're cut fine, isn't it? Well, it is, yeah, the tables have turned. We used, we used to mock him, we used to say, oh, you know, we're going for the title and they've come here, that's the only thing they've got to play a, for. You're going to get a half and half scarf. Oh, but, do you know what? I didn't expect to occasion. get Noel Fergal joining. No, no, I'm getting no, no, it from no, all no, sides here. No. Listen, we've had our time of winning matches. We're, we're past all that now. We're better than it's boring. that. It's boring. Yeah, fashion. we've won all them trophies yeah. now. We're just going to, you know, settle for a relegation battle. But I'm hoping that. The crowd are up for it. I'm hoping that Liverpool come and think a point isn't a bad a bad result they, and don't they, quite they go think... for it the way they should. Because if they do go for it the way they should, if they get at us, especially with the injuries we've got and the strike force they've got, we're going to be in serious trouble because it's not just Pogba and De Gea I mentioned who are missing. There's also talk that Wan-Bissaka and even maybe Luke Shaw are going to be out as well. And then you're bringing in the likes of Ashley Young, maybe Marcus Rojo or Tuanzebi, who are quite like it, but he's still relatively young. So, you know, you could be up against it. It could be a long, long Sunday afternoon. The when you're saying that the crowd are going to be up for it I mean it's the same crowd that you've had it's the same fans it's the same people the same energy they've wanted you to win every single game so you know d- does the crowd really have that much impact on what's going to happen I think it's different for the Liverpool yeah. game yeah, yeah I, think that, I think it is definitely. I mean the atmosphere at Old Trafford it gets a lot of criticism and sometimes rightly so but we're always up for it for a Liverpool game and I think that might have played a part last season because Liverpool fans were pretty quiet last season and the United fans were up for it for the whole night and don't forget when we got beat 3-0 off Liverpool under Moyes 20 times rang out throughout but, the whole 90 minutes. It's one but of the best I think the current climate, though, if you go down 1-0... Oh, if they get an early goal, it'll yeah, be toxic. Like, it'll help Liverpool not. Yeah, yeah, it will. It will. Yeah, like, it'll be, the, the, uh, there's no one in there that's going to be going... Every, all those <laughs> fingers are going to be looking at Woodward, you know, yeah, the director's w- box and going... Big time, big time. Um, yeah, I mean... The cameras are going to be on him the, all game. The, the crowd lost it when we got we were getting beat off Cardiff, so it'll be ten times worse when we're getting beat off. Speaking uh, of Woodward, Liverpool. there were some interesting comments this week uh, where they said that footballing decisions are not made by non-footballing staff. I don't know if you, you saw that, and it just thought oh, yeah. odd that they had to come out and say that. Well, I don't know if he was talking about himself because he went they're made by non-footballing uh, they're made by footballing people who are brilliant. I think he probably means himself because he's that <laughs> egotistical. He's probably yeah. like saying I'm brilliant and I'm a football person. Well, you, you're neither. Um, but he's become a bit of a lightning rod for the fans because they're not going to turn on Ollie, not completely anyway. A few are sort of getting a bit disillusioned with him. And Woodward is the common denominator post Fergie. He's been there all the time. We've had all this money we've spent that's just been wasted. And we've had four managers now, three of, uh, well, two of whom had massive success before they came to United and couldn't replicate it. So you look at other areas and it, he's the sort of the, the, the one that everyone's pointing the finger at, and in my opinion, mm. rightly so. The, but the, 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 sorry, I was just going to say that the, the issue ultimately is there's not that clear thread throughout the club that that's that's you know kind of been implemented since since Ferguson left and and that means that even though Woodward can say that you know the football and decisions aren't being made by him ultimately it's for him to make sure that they've got the right people making the decisions that are in place for how Manchester United want to build and 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 I think that's where Liverpool and plenty of other clubs now you know even look at the likes of 
like Brighton, for example, in terms of their like hiring strategy and how that works, it's based on a vision. It's based on a continuity thread through how they want the club to be presented. And uh, that's something that United just don't have. They've talked about the, you know, an identity for the club and, and what it means and, and the United way. And it's, I think everyone knows it hasn't existed for six years. Well, I think you, you said there, you know, about it, it's not Woodward, it, you know, he, he's not got that effect on it. But then, like, well, how do you change it? Because a lot, a, the easy, the standard thing to go to is get rid, of, get rid of Ollie, change the manager. But you've changed the manager a couple of times. Oh, now, I didn't say it's not Woodward. No, no, no. I said it is yeah, Woodward. But the in terms of spending money as well, oh, yeah. yeah, spending money. I'm, I'm thinking more from how do you get out of this? Because like changing the manager hasn't worked. You've done that. Yeah, spending money hasn't worked, and you kind of is it in terms of second in terms of like the amount of money that you spent in the last few seasons. It's something. It was. It's up there. I mean, the argument from United fans is the Glazers have taken out a billion out of the club. And that we're still five hundred million pound in debt. So regardless of what we spent, and we still earn a lot more than any other clubs on on the. I think uh, perhaps any other club. On but the then planet. the club is still spending money. They're still bringing in big ticket players. We've not spent at the players. right times as well. I get where you're coming from, man. But you know, we finished nineteen points behind Manchester City, and we went out that that summer. We went out. We bought Fred, who Jose didn't want. It was obvious. We bought Diogo Delo, and we bought Lee Grant. And then City went and bought Riyad Mahrez, building on a team that had just yeah. finished nineteen points above us. We had to kick on then. So it's all you can look at and you go, well, you spent 70 million quid, no, but that wasn't enough. But the thing is, I'm, right I'm not criticising sort of that. that. I'm saying it's like, but what do you do now? Like, oh, right, uh, if, if, do you spend more money now? Because then is that just... Well, I think what Rich was saying, you, you, you've, you've set, got back you set someone, the, yeah, you, have a you, vision. You set the vision. You know what happened, what now, five years ago, four or five years ago, when uh, Klopp came to Liverpool, even before then they'd started really sort of putting in a different system, you know, in terms of Rodgers and, again, how they were recruiting players and still didn't get everything right, but they were obviously learning and, you know, sort of developing what they wanted the future Liverpool to look like. I remember when Klopp joined and he made that statement. He said, I'm going to win the league within five years. You know, press conference. I remember at the time, oh my God, what the bloody hell's like? Why would you say that? You're setting that expectation level to this fan base who were going to be so critical, so hungry for success. And listen, now what they've done in terms of transforming the club and putting them into position, it doesn't matter if they don't win the league this year. Really, you know, they've, they're getting so close and they've got this taste. And I think for United, it needs to take that approach of this is what, we, this is what we're aiming to do. This is what we're planning to do. Because at the moment, it's very it's we're the biggest club in the world. We're the biggest commercially. These are the revenues. It's very, it's, it's, a, it's a level of arrogance. And, um, you know, I think ultimately it has to be a, this is how Manchester United is going to be. And this and our aim is to reti- is to win the league back in another five years. Some fans aren't going to be happy because you'll be gone 10 years without a title, but it's the only way to do it for me. And I think for United, this kind of disconcord between who makes the decisions, who signs the players, who ultimately signs off these deals. You can almost look at the, the Liverpool game this weekend as a, as a bit of a microcosm of that, in that Ferguson at various times had to play against poor United, sorry, had to work with poor United sides. But what he was able to do was foster a mentality of, we are Manchester United. When you go out on that pitch, you're representing Manchester United, X, Y and Z. And what's happening now is we're in a situation where Solskjaer is in the role that he is and being kept in the role that he is because of his name, because of his connection to the club. Alongside that, there isn't a great amount to keep him to keep him in place. There isn't, sorry, but there isn't. No, that's that's yeah, just a fact of it. It's, it's and difficult. When you look at those players, the expected 11, you know, we can talk about injuries, we can talk about players that have been signed or haven't been signed. There's a common denominator running through all this, and that to me rings out of why 
there's no connection between the board and the manager. And that's characters, leaders, experienced individuals. Who's the last person that United signed that you thought, listen, we're not where we want to be, but we're not going to get turned over by Liverpool. We're not going to get turned over by City because X is in the middle of the park or at centre-back and they're not going to let us get turned over because we're Manchester United. United have not only stopped signing global stars, they've stopped signing players in that mould that Ferguson would have signed to go, listen, we're not the, the 99 treble winning team. We're not the, the Champions League final team that went toe-to-toe with Barcelona. We're somewhere in between. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to make damn sure that we're not going to get turned over and finish outside the top four. No, there isn't the, the signings of, you know, we were sort of talking about on the channel the other week and there's not many signings you can say post-Fergie that have been a success. I mean, you can argue he's last time and then you, you sort of, you're in debate. Was Mar- free. Martial, maybe, Pogba, possibly. But, you know, it's difficult, I'd say Herrera, but there's not many. Most of the signings we've made post-Fergie have, have moved on because they've not worked out. And I, just as you said before about City, when you compare that to when Ferguson was in charge and when United were successful, there was no resting. Every summer he'd go out and go, right, I want more. You weren't to the level that I thought last season, I'm going to bring in this person. Case in point was after the 99 treble win, he went out and bought two, three world-class players no, in yeah. order to challenge and develop and, and grow yeah. and, and push for cont- um, continuous European success. And the I, interesting thing as well is that Ferguson was always very good at moving players on at the right yeah. time. Yeah. And so, I mean, I dare say now that Jay could probably reel off like 10 players that How should be gone. This is the starting 11 on Sunday. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, but we're in this position where one of the things that a lot of United fans have said that sort of gets back up a little bit is, oh, well, you've got to give Oli credit for getting rid of the Deadwood. And then you look at it, you think, well, he's got rid of Lukaku, he's got rid of Herrera, he's got rid of Fellaini, he's got rid of Sanchez. Now, whether you like those players or not, that's 200 Premier League goals he's taken out of the team. Yep. If you're going to do that... How many of them were Sanchez? One? <laughs> yeah, well, for United, I think two. Yeah, but if you're going to do that, you need to replace it. And yep. we haven't. You know, Mason Greenwood this weekend has signed a new deal. Great, fantastic. But is Mason Greenwood a player you can rely on but this season also, to get your double figures? Just no. like, think think about it. You know, is it... Tr- the, the role of the manager has changed. And, and what the manager means is changing the game. Is it Ollie's decision, really, and should it be Ollie's decision to decide who comes in and who goes based on his position and where he is? Because what's the, what's the current lifetime of a of, a, of an average manager? Yeah. Eight, Thompson, two years, yeah. three. It's, it's, I mean, years. the longest serving manager in the Premier League right now is Eddie Howe, and it's about seven years. There you yeah. go. Wow. Yeah, but it's got to be that's got to be something that's implemented by the club to say, you know. Listen, whether it's Ollie, whether it's someone else, whether it's someone else, you know, this is the type of squad and the type of team and the style of play that needs to that needs to yeah. develop. But not then, just based on who's who's available, who's the flavour of the month, and and oh, I fancy a new player, so I'll go out and get him or, or not. It's but, not just as easy as just kind of going, well, our style of play is going to be attack, attack, counter attack, yeah. win, and we're going to win everything. There's a lot more to it, otherwise. Yeah, and also, like, even if you do get it right. There's five or six other teams out there with the resources and the staff that are doing the same thing. But yeah. this is this is the situation that United find themselves in. And the, the only reason we're having this conversation about Manchester United is because what we've all grown up with Manchester United being and representing, and not just Jay as a United fan, the rest of us are not mm. United fans, but we all know or all knew what United represented in terms of the elite level, that the club in the Premier League era. That's now no longer the situation. And the reason we're talking about these situations and is Solskjaer the man to do this? Is he being allowed to do this? Who's doing this? Who's doing that? It's not so much a case of if Ferguson was here, that wouldn't have happened. Yeah, we all know that. But this is because Arsenal and United are the only two teams in the Premier League that have ever been run from top to bottom and completely dominated by one person in Ferguson and in Wenger. And that's why we have this conversation and why United fans are struggling for answers because 
no other club was has been run like that and no other club now is. We talk about visions at other clubs. That's because they've realised that this kind of autocracy of managers is, is dying off. There has to be a system. There has to be checks and balances in place. People have to be answerable to people. You know, Ferguson wasn't answerable to anybody, but because he was successful, it didn't matter. That's no longer the way that football clubs are run. And because United are so unaccustomed to that, and that's right the way through the back. You know, we talk about Woodward, but there's hundreds of people employed by Manchester United that you're asking them to basically have an entire sea change in the way that they work. They could have been working for United for 20 years when all they've known is the way that Ferguson ran the club. Now that is completely and utterly different and everybody's having to adjust to that. So are we saying then that United no longer relevant in terms of like the, the, the you're top wanting of the us table. To say no, that. no, I'm not. But like, you're saying that <laughs> what you're saying is that they're running an old system. They're running a system that uh, in, in how the clubs run. The fact that Rich has said they've not got an identity in how they play. There seems to be no consistency in what they're going through. I'm just very aware that we, we've spent the good chunk of this podcast so far talking about United. And yet there's other teams that are going to finish higher than them in yep. the table at this rate that we're, we're not giving the same time and attention to. So really, should we be kind of going, actually, you know what, United aren't as important. Let's focus more on this team instead. You say that and I get where you're coming from because on the pitch, in terms of performance levels, we're, we're way down. We're, we're deservedly where we, did, um, we should be in the table. But, you know, journalists always say, you stick Man United in your headline, it gets clicks. People talk about Manchester United. We're still one of the biggest, if not the biggest supported clubs in the world. And it's, you know, it is sad as a United fan to see what we've become this sort of commercial beast that only seems to be bothered about flogging shirts and all, you know, and, and, and getting these sponsorship noodle deals and, and silly things like that. But United, I think, will always be relevant because of the size of the club. It was just, at the moment, we're a falling giant, but we're still a giant. I think I think it's just, you know, United are so interesting and fascinating. I, I worked there for five years and, you know, it's a it's an amazing place. And, and I think as much as rival fans would also like not admit it but people want United to do well you know people want to be able to go to Old Trafford and test them and it to be a fortress and to to hate the fans no one could hate United fans at the moment you know it's it's quite it's quite sad really like to, to see and because it's, it go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no but you know there's don't put everyone in like, that bag just yeah. yet no but I'm sure hold my beer yeah, yeah. <laughs> you other fans want United you, you want that club and and for what they did and what they represent, you know, you actually want them to be a bit a bit better and have a bit of grit or fight. There's no grit and fight in that club at the moment, and I think that's sad to see. As a as a Blackburn fan, we were never too fond of United, but you know, ultimately, it's sad not to see them where they should be. And I think that's why people like to talk about it. It's just because it's super it's super interesting to see how what will happen, what's going to develop. So, so, just one more question on this, Jay, as the United fan here, like. Maybe it would just be a win this weekend. Is, is there something that could happen this season that would make it all worth it, that would make it better, that would make you feel good, even starting to look ahead to next season now? I think if Oli survives the season, because he is under pressure, maybe not by sort of the diehard fans, the core fans, a lot of it will always back him because of the, you know the, the under, we understand that there's, it's not just his fault and the, the, the way he's a legend, obviously. But if he can get through to the end of the season and we can have some form of success, be it a trophy, be it making the Champions League, then that would make this well, well worthwhile and that would be a pretty remarkable achievement considering how poor we've been. At the beginning of the season, we're already, what we in October, looking at January as saving our season, which is ridiculous. But I think if we can, if Oli can be the manager at the end of the season and we have either won something or 
got into the top four, which is very unlikely, I admit that. But stranger things have happened. If at the end of the season that's happened, then yeah, that is that has made it all worthwhile. I don't think it will, if I'm being honest. I think we're, we're in for a long season. And I think Oli's going to be in serious trouble. And I think that trouble could start on Sunday afternoon. I mean, for me, I think you're going to have to look at success as... Big Sam in, start of January, survive <laughs> oh, relegation. Sooner the better, really. Start again next year, yeah. <laughs> We've gone every other direction. It's about time we went down I, the I, Aldice route. I, I just want to point out to anybody that's listening on the headphones today, um, if you think there's a T-Rex coming, it's not. It's just Jay's getting so annoyed every time oh, he's sorry. talking. He's banging the desk like that. And I just imagine you looking around, looking at your glass of water to see oh, if it's so <laughs> This is what it's doing to him. Yeah, I had a full head of air before this season started, and I'm bald. Uh, let's move on to some of the other games that are happening. Uh, let's go to Palace against City. So uh, last time out, City, I, I was there. I was tweeting during the game, kind of going, look, Fernandinho looks like he was born to play centre-back. <laughs> Wolves are a shadow of their former selves. And then I stopped tweeting because uh, Adama Torari came and uh, just hit us on the break. And City lost again. Eight-point gap after eight games to Liverpool. Obviously in the past, last season, seven points behind, still came back and did it. It doesn't feel like that this season. It almost feels like Liverpool have looked at what they've done last season and gone, we drew too many games, let's let's push it through. They've had a few games this season where they've not looked at their best and they've managed to turn it around and win. It, it is... I think still with a shout. I, absolutely. I mean, you know, this, this almost for me feels like Pep's, again, ideal scenario. Takes the heat off, takes the pressure off, allows the players to... To again become comfortable with mm. how he wants them to play and to and to gain that momentum almost under the radar. At the end of the day, you know, I think obviously, you know, Palace have been doing well. I think we'd all say that that we'd expect City to 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 win this, but who knows? It could be a banana skin. But you know, get that run of wins together and wait for Liverpool to to have the slip up, to get the few draws in there, to get that loss where they've been winning games at the moment. Um, to have that, like you know, kind of last-minute goal conceded and lose. I think it's. I think this is probably perfect for Pep, to be honest. Well, they did slip up last season when Palace came to the Etihad. Won the goal from Townsend. Um, I, I, I'm just struggling to see Liverpool slipping up anywhere this season. Have, have they learnt from it? Will Will that thing come? Is, is there going to be a moment where it all falls apart? They suffer lots of injuries. I don't think it's necessarily going to be a falling apart situation. Klopp and Pep both said at the start of the season that the title this time round is going to be <clears throat> going to be decided by an even thinner margin than last season. And to touch on what you said before, Ant, which I think is very true, which you can see in the way that Liverpool have started this season, they're not afraid to lose, they're afraid to draw mm. because they know it was the draws that ultimately cost them last season. They didn't lose that many games. It was the draws, United, Everton, West Ham, Leicester. Those were the results that ultimately counted against them. And when you look at Liverpool's record last year... The draws always came on the back of three or four wins, just to just to be that little little spanner in the works, just to kind of upset a bit of momentum. And I think that's what it's going to be for Liverpool this season. I don't see, as you say, it all falling apart and you know the famous Christmas period and them losing two or three games. No, if City are going to get back into it, they need to get into gear and just go on a run. And they need Liverpool's lead to be chipped away. It won't be a it won't be a grand breakdown, um, but I do think, as you say, this idea of not wanting to draw games will ultimately be how they come unstuck because I think I've seen in situations so far we almost saw it with the Sheffield United game they realised in the second half we can't draw this game we're either going to win it or we're going to lose it so we have to go forward 
as Jay said before, they got a bit of a lucky goal to win it in the end. But they were pushing for that goal because they're so concerned about holding on for a nil-nil that if Sheffield United pop one in the back of the net, it's going to be questions asked of them again. So I think if City are to get back into it and if this is to become a real race, which I think it will be February, March time, it will be because Liverpool's lead is, is chipped away at rather than them falling off the horse and losing a, a run of games. Now City have got De Bruyne back to full fitness for this game. John Stones is back as well. Um, it, obviously, it was a surprise last season. Uh, I mean, I, I've, I've already had a go at United. So can, can, can you see any way that Palace is going to turn over City again? I can't. I mean, I didn't see it last season, to be honest with you. That was a, a proper shocker. Townsend, uh, as you mentioned earlier, getting that world there. I mean, Palace have had a good season. Not bringing it back to United. And I know, no, it doesn't mean a lot nowadays, but they, they beat us at Old Trafford. Um, but I just think this is... Already, this game almost feels like a must-win for City to me. Mm. It does. I know this sounds ridiculous because we're in October, but I think if City was to lose three games by the end of October, the way Liverpool play, and I think that would be a, a real big question mark over the title. So I just don't see City losing this. I think that they'll know deep down. I mean, Norwich was a bit of an anomaly, and then you look at it and you think, okay, and then Wolves, you think, wow, I don't, I just can't see it happening for a third time this so soon in the season. Like Rich was saying there earlier, Pep, you know, he'll know what to do, and I think he'll, he'll have his players up for it. And De Bruyne, I mean... People forget how important a player he is because he was injured for most of last season. Of, of yeah, right. yeah, two or three People times. People forget how good yeah. he is. You know, having him back, that's such a massive boost. That's the one thing. Oh. If, if uh, you know, sort of Liverpool get a couple of those injuries that might affect them, it's going to affect them a hell of a lot more than City. Obviously, with City, you know, the defence issue is, is sort of clear and... I don't know. Can they lose any more defenders? Um, didn't they have but, any more uh, to lose? Yeah, exactly. Fernandinho so, can but, play at centre-back, can't he? Guardiola will be playing at centre-back the, the, soon. There was yeah. a video that came out this week from Laporte just a few days ago on social media, showed him in the gym and said he's almost moving towards... And I was like, really? That quickly? Oh, I was like, Pep's doctor, hasn't he? Yay. That's the thing. Yeah. But, um, but ultimately, you know, as you look forward for them, they've got such great strength at that. In, in, absolutely incredible. Obviously, Liverpool, slightly, slightly different tale, you know, definitely would be more susceptible um, in that sort of attacking threat if they were to get a couple of injuries. I mean, Jay, you said it seems crazy that we're talking about the title already, but then actually when we look at last season and how close it was, I mean, you, you basically went from like January onwards, like City hardly dropped any points after, after all, all the way through uh, and just kept that consistent run. So Liverpool have looked at that and gone, well, if we want to beat that, we need to be more on it. And then, so I can see just the, the the pressure that comes with that that success is is going to be there. So could could we actually be at this kind of thing where like you lose a game in August and September and that's it? Your, your chances are yeah. over. I just I wonder with City. I know this is about the Premier League, but I just wonder with City whether the Champions League is going to play a part in this because that that for me is what Pep will, will look at and think that could be sort of the difference between being a phenomenal manager at Man City and being a legendary one in terms of the Premier League history to win the Champions League with City would be unreal. So I just wonder whether that's going to play a part in it and whether because Liverpool are so focused on winning the Premier League and ending that 30-year drought whereas City, what it means to them, probably the Champions League, I don't know, you're a City fan, you can tell me, might mean a little bit more than making it three in a row. So I just wonder whether it gets to sort of, it's what Fergie's called, squeaky bum time, whether you know, you've know you got the Champions League knockout stages and you have to make a tough decision about a player who's sort of 50-50 for a league game or you could play him in the Champions League, whether the Pep would be inclined to go with the Champions League and Klopp would be like, no, it's all about the Premier League. This is very much what seemed to be the conversation that Liverpool fans were having last season, especially when they'd lost the three away games in the Champions League and they were talking about, that's fine, you know, we could drop the Champions League, just focus on the Premier League. And, and as you look at it, I think City have got the most games in... 
December, like mm. up to the second of January, they've got eight games mm. in in that in that four week period, uh, which is pretty intensive. The, the the way that all works out, but then that's part of what comes with it. It's not going to be. It's not like boxing where you can just avoid people and just go like, oh no, I'm not going to fight this year, but I'll still be world champion. It's it comes with it. What wow. city, what City have got, which Liverpool don't have, and you know, you look at Premier League title runnings for the last few years, re- removing Leicester, or the anomaly of Leicester winning the league, and Jay O'Neill from United winning league after league after league after league. The last two three months months of the season are not decided by great football or, or impressive performances. Even the Arsenal invincible side, it wasn't. It is about mentality. You know, to borrow an old another old Fergieism, that's that's what he used to say, and it is the truth. And we've seen this with City, particularly in the last two seasons. The last six weeks of the season have been far from vintage Guardiola or vintage City. But what they have got, particularly through that that core of the team, I know obviously company's gone now, but with the likes of Silva, Aguero, even Sterling growing into that role, he's got Guardiola's got players that he can turn around to in the dressing room and go, you, you, and you, you know how to win the league. Just just go out and do what you did this time last year. Klopp, for everything he's done for Liverpool and for you know the likes of Van Dijk, the way he's dragged them on, they don't have that. I'm not saying that they don't have the mentality to win the, the league or the players to win the league, but when we get down to, to the cold hard fact of a month from the finish line, Guardiola is able to say that. And even down to small things, and, and Ferguson did used to say this as well, of being able to mentally picture how you're going to win this game, being able to mentally picture and block out just tunnel vision on your way to the end of the season. Liverpool don't have a player in that squad that has done that, whereas City have got half a dozen more in their starting eleven. Milner? No, I was going to say, uh, that's the only one I'd say. Yeah. One, sorry, I beg yeah. your pardon, one. Yeah. Yeah. And he won it at City. <laughs> um, just one thing uh, about Palace before we go, and, and this this is a question that uh, just baffles me. Um, Christian Benteke signed a new contract extension. How? I, th- I think firstly for that, you know, we have to say, Commiserations to to Jay and United. He would have made a great great signing in January if he hadn't signed <laughs> he, that new contract. He wouldn't come, he wouldn't come at United. <laughs> well, hold on a minute. Palace are in sixth. What are you talking about, man? Just follow the breadcrumbs here, though. When Allardyce comes in, he's exactly yeah, the yeah, kind of person exactly. to waste forty Actually, million on yeah. Benteke. Yeah. Uh, so by signing a new contract, that boosts his price. Exactly. exactly. Very, very the long smart. Game, I mean, uh, yeah, we'll very get big Sam Palace. and Benteke. Yeah. Same, Allardyce has shorted window. the market here. Come on. <laughs> Uh, let's move on to uh, Spurs against Watford, which last season would have been like um, competing for Champions League, Europa League places. And now it's like Spurs down in about 10th and Watford, all sorts of trouble down at the bottom. Uh, a lot of talk has been about Pochettino and his position there, uh, obviously being linked to United, uh, which actually at the minute, even with Spurs trouble, is a move down. Um <laughs> Now, Pochettino, there was a stuff that went well, out. Every That's single sentence ends with a little dig, doesn't it? It's, it's actually savage. a talent. I'm almost admiring it, <laughs> thanks, to thanks. be fair. I did have a little bell to hit every time I did it. It's gone. Uh, now, now, there's this thing with uh, Pochettino. I don't know if you saw this this week, where uh, he was invited out to dinner with the players, and he said... Uh, every, that proves everything is all right, because why would they invite me to dinner if... There was nothing wrong. Now, my question is, has Pochettino never seen Game of Thrones or a Mafia movie? <laughs> I right? was going to say, that really depends where they took him. Yeah. You know, if they've t- taken him to McDonald's, yeah. I'd be like, hey, this is your, this is your swan song. If they're taking him somewhere nice, you know, nice slap-up state. But given, given Tottenham's record with lasagna as well, we, we can also oh, hope it's not, oh, yeah. it's not uh, an Italian He's restaurant. Feeling a bit Ill. Do you think uh, anyone that is involved with Tottenham has ever been able to eat lasagna again after that? <laughs> Anytime they went out for the Italian, just be menu, like, no, I just so couldn't was that four it. seasons ago? Uh, it was about no, it was 2006. Uh, yeah, it was when they almost got uh, Champions League off Arsenal. Yeah. Yeah. And the Fantastic. Arsenal chef was mysteriously off duty that night. 
fantastic. But going back to your thing, though, I mean, it's almost sort of United levels of comedy that the manager coming out and saying, "Well, I've been for dinner with the players, so everything's rosy." That proves it. Doesn't prove anything. I think it's just if anything, it shows the, the state they're in. And, and it's it, weird that we're saying this because of the the season Tottenham have just had. And there's been it seems to have been a lot considering that so much seems to be run at that club and controlled by Daniel Levy. There seems to have been a lot that has come out this season, and um, particularly the uh, Pochettino seems to have maybe overstepped the mark a little a, a few times by saying. I wanted rid of some players and they're still here, right? Now, I think everybody knows who those players are, but even so, there's going to be a couple of people in there that are really, are you talking about me? A little bit of paranoia. And that is not conducive to a great team environment. It's, I've, I've said this last time I was on the podcast and spoke about Pochettino. It just reminds me so much of Jose towards mm. the end of his time at United. I'm a head coach, not a manager. Singling out, not singling out players, but making sort of statements where you can see what he's trying to say and he's digging out players and it, it just doesn't look happy and it's just we keep I keep saying it every time we talk about Tottenham it's just not a happy camp at the minute and you know going for dinner isn't going to solve that I think the, the, the issues run far deeper and whether it is the relationship between Levy and, and Pochettino has become sort of that untenable that he's taking out on the players as well I don't know but it just you know I'd be, I'd be surprised if, if this carries on and Pochettino sees it out in the season and it's amazing that he's still linked with the Real Madrid job even after the the relatively bad run Tottenham have had. Is it three, three wins in 11 games? Yeah. yeah. Competitions. But, it, but it demonstrates, as you say, that his stock hasn't dropped how good a manager he is. You know, I mentioned it on podcasts in the past of like, he's constantly this thing of the Champions League final gets brought up. But Pochettino is, is an interesting one in terms of the system at Tottenham where Levy's the man who calls the shots in terms of financial decisions that get made. But Pochettino has realised his own worth at this stage of the game. Manchester United and Real Madrid, irrespective of current league positions, are bigger clubs than Tottenham. They are. And he now knows that he's United's number one target if Solskjaer was to go, and he's Madrid's number one target if they were to lose patience with Zidane, which is every likelihood given the nature of Real Madrid as a club. He realizes that Levy, for the first time in his in his career at Tottenham, has now got a situation with a manager that is, if not on par with him, actually bigger than him with a bigger profile. And the interesting thing now with with regards to Tottenham is that other than Harry Kane. They ha- Levy hasn't got a weapon. He hasn't got a player that he can weaponize. There's no huge star in that team that would go for over 100 million. The closest would be Ericsson, but he's out of contract at the end of the season. Any team with a brain is just going to, you know, buy their time and wait for his contract to run down. In the past, Levy's always had a player, and because he's held control over that in terms of I decide when they go, how much for, and to where, managers have essentially kind of fallen in line. Now he doesn't have that, and Pochettino knows that. And Pochettino can also flip the coin and say, and the reason I haven't got that player is because you haven't bought him for me or, or allowed me to buy him. So Levy's on, not on sure footing in terms of leaving his position, but in terms of his influence at the club, he is on unsure footing because Pochettino has, has kind of come above him. And the players are seeing that. They're seeing a, a, a change in mentality at the club and they're reacting in kind. You know, We've mentioned quite a few times, number of players out of contract, number of players that seem unhappy, Number of players that are suddenly being played out of position. Like he's swapping between a back four and a back three. Players don't really know what's what, what's going on. They're going to miss Larice now. He's out for a few months. He's an enormous player for them. Club captain. Pochettino, he's almost kind of, he's edging towards, as, as Jay said before, he's edging towards half, half four on a, on a Friday where he's like, I know what's going down here. I know we've kind of reached as far as I can take this team. You're not willing to back me in the way that Klopp or Guardiola would be backed. So unless things dramatically change, I'm off. You know what? You know what though, Le- Levy may not be that bothered at the moment, and the reason why I say that is because, like, I'm always thinking from a, 
a, a financial perspective, uh, it's every likelihood he probably doesn't want to pay him an absolute shed load to leave. So he's probably just, well, well you know what? We'll do what we do, and I'll wait for United or Madrid to come and pay me a load of money to take it's, to our fans. You must be horrible in a relationship. <laughs> Rather than end it, you just be really mean and short with them until they break up with you, because you can't bring yourself to... That's basically well, what you're talking it's about. Totally. So I got married this, this summer, yeah. <laughs> what, happened when you, what happened when you were with Daniel Levy? Did that just give you just like a button heads for years? But the, the thing is, you just said that, and I've, I've just suddenly realised, like, so you've got Levy and Pochettino doing that, Sounds very similar to what we heard with Mourinho towards the end. He says, I wanted these centre-backs and they didn't bring them in, mm-hmm. right? We hear it all the time with the likes of Steve Bruce and, well, he's not come out overtly and said it, but obviously the fans are unhappy with the owners that are there. Now, it wasn't so long ago that Liverpool fans weren't happy with their owners. You don't really hear that anymore these days, do you? And especially you don't hear it from the manager. You don't hear it from Pep talking about the owners. You don't hear it at Chelsea. You're not hearing it at Arsenal. I mean, going back a couple of seasons, yeah, you were. Yeah, yeah. But is, is that is is that an indicator of, of problems? Massively so. And as Rich said before, the the thing with Liverpool now, obviously everyone talks about Klopp and the impact that he's had at the club. But as Rich rightly said before, towards the end of Rodgers, changes were being made behind the scenes in terms of how the club was run, transfer committee, uh, consultations with managers, etc. And that was one of the reasons they sourced Klopp because they knew the system he'd worked with under Dortmund was conducive to that and that he would fit into that. But what they've done is they've been able to create a balance and success at a football club is a is a fantastic uh, thing for greasing the old wheels in these situations. If Klopp hadn't won the Champions League or wasn't making Liverpool the most competitive in the Premier League that they've ever been, maybe there would be question marks. Maybe there would be. You know, there's no coincidence that these things are married up with expectations not being met, albeit if those expectations are not realistic. I said before with Spurs in the Champions League final, there will be a portion of Tottenham fans, ridiculous as it sounds, that are furious with Pochettino because of the fact that they're like, right, well, Champions League a few months ago, we were gunning for the league up until the last two months of the season. What's gone on? And they don't want to look at the wider context of it. And Pochettino himself is having to operate in that environment without the kind of unstinting support of Daniel Levy. I think, I think. sorry, almost just tying into what you said. Again, this, this may be quite a general statement, um, but I think Spurs fans accept Levy. They accept him and they accept that the way he does things and, you know, they accept that because of decisions like that that he's made, they've ended up with the best stadium in the world. They've ended up in a position where they are just about competing or should be competing apart from obviously the first, you know, sort of eight weeks of, of the season. So, you know, kind of, I don't think there's probably the, a level of discontent that, yeah, obviously United fans will have towards their owners or, or, or the chairman because I think they understand that, I think, to be fair, actually, I think with Levy, he does have a clear vision on how he wants to run things. You know, typically, he likes to get the get his players down on long term contracts. Yeah, that sort of cha- that 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 winds have kind of changed and caused caused the issues that they're facing at the moment. But that's generally how he likes to do things. They they know that um, Lever will always work on a shoestring and try and get the most out of out of his budget and be very frugal and stuff. And I can't say fair play to that. Really, he's very he's you know you know what you're going to get. Again, this is probably going to sound a bit like overshare right here, but just you talking about that reminded me of a couple of relationships I've had where they've just gone, I tolerate you. <laughs> Let's leave that there for now, my relationships and those games. We're going to look at the other games taking place in the Premier League uh, this weekend. And also we're going to look 
at the dirtiest players ever in the Premier League as we put together uh, a dirty 11. A report came out today highlighting the two dirtiest teams in Premier League history. Yes, of all the 49 teams that have played in the Premier League, two come out top for the most red and yellow cards. Have a think who they are and I'll give you the answer after this. Premier League Daily from Sports Social. Subscribe to the podcast now and never miss an episode. Premier League Daily from Sports Social. It is the Football Social Daily, the Premier League preview show. Thank you very much for joining us. Before the break, I said to you about this survey that's come out. It's a betting company called SpreadX, and they've come up with the statistically dirtiest teams in Premier League history. Now, they've used red cards and yellow cards to to do this. Who do we think the teams are? Any I, guesses? I go with Arsenal. No Arsenal? Yeah. I was saying before that there was a period where my beloved Blackburn were considered one of the dirtiest teams around. Unfairly... Uh, compounded by Arsene Wenger having a bit of a whinge. Okay. Uh, I'd gone for Allardyce's Bolton. Ooh, good shot. Yeah, just yeah. just to accumulate. I know he wasn't there for... So the, the way they've done this is they awarded 25 points for a red card and 10 points for a yellow card. And the teams that came up joint on top, which is more impressive for the second team because they've not had as much time in the Premier League, at Chelsea and... Derby County. Derby oh, County. Really? Yeah. really? Wow. I didn't think they'd be in the Premier League long enough to... I know, yeah. They, they, they made an impact. ...to any yeah. of the players <laughs> to, to get booked or sent off. Yeah, the, I was going to say, they, they, they made an impression on quite <laughs> yeah. a few other players. So let's have a, let's come back to that in a minute. So I'm going to ask you guys to have a little think about who you would like to see in a dirty Premier League eleven. I kind of feel like we should play some Christina Aguilera, but we haven't got yeah. the rights here. Maybe Jay, you can sing it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, no, good. No problem. All right. There's some chaps in the corner. Keep, keep your clothes on, Jay. <laughs> uh, let's let's look at uh, the games that we've got on. The, so let's start with uh, Villa against Brighton. Uh, United have been linked to a couple of the Villa players, haven't they? <laughs> well, I said, yeah, it was suggested that perhaps the likes of Tyrell Mings and Jack Grealish. Jack Grealish was one in the summer, actually that a few people were suggesting could be coming to Old Trafford. He seemed to be a player that kind of fitted the bill in a way that he was relatively youngish, exciting, and obviously, you know, a talented attacking type of player. And also United were, were supposedly veering towards English and British players. So it, it's, it sort of made sense. I think it was more paper talk. I don't think there was ever a, a realistic offer or that anyone chased it up or that we'd actually scouted him. But yeah, it's been suggested that maybe likes of Mings and Grealish and McGinn, who's having a good season, could do a job at, at United. I mean, it would take players away from our rivals, if I'm being honest, because <laughs> Villa are just looking at it now. I think they're sort of one point behind us. So and and Brighton are level with us on points. So this is a game I'm going to be watching with a great curiosity because it means a lot to me. Yeah, Brighton are flying after that thumping win at Spurs last time out, and they've had a bit of a break as well. We'll see how that goes. Uh, Rich, let's look at Everton, uh, West Ham. Uh, two very different starts to the season. There was a lot of hope put in. Silver, which we've talked about a lot on this podcast already, it looked to have a very good transfer window. And yet, at the other side, you, almost quietly, you've had Pellegrini's West Ham flirting with the top four. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, obviously you've got Everton, they're sat on like 18th, West Ham at 8th. Uh, I think sort of where you'd, where you'd sort of pitch Everton uh, to, to be at this point in the season, I mean, I guess they're, they're, they're well far from it. And I think... Uh, yeah, obviously fans are, are pretty uncomfortable. It seems like I think Sheffield United result um, at home there like really, really sort of shook them. Uh, I think they've lost um, they've lost about four in a row now in the league. So it's going to be interesting to see whether this this could be a huge result for them if they manage to if they manage to get something out of the game. Um, 
just seems as well like like you say they they seem to have a good window, but obviously you know Keane hasn't. I, d- I don't know what the expectation of the fans was there. He's still obviously very young, very raw, and and sort of only broke through in the in the latter half of last year in in uh, in Italy. But uh, you know then they're probably not going to get the the fifteen goals out of him that that they would have liked. Um, yeah, I think I think West Ham they were obviously always looking that they wanted to to, to knock on the door of the of, of Europe, but. Uh, yeah, they're doing a good job of it. I think obviously their signings have, have made that possible, and maybe you can give us a bit of insight into Pellegrini and whether he can he can uh, make well, so, it last so, for them. Somebody somebody sent me a, uh, a meme this week of Pellegrini and a picture of uh, Emperor Palpatine from Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Spot the difference uh, from one manager who's under a lot of pressure to probably the most secure manager in many ways in the Premier League. Eddie Howe at Bournemouth. They welcome Norwich this weekend. Uh, Norwich. Everybody had Timo Pukki in their team. They were flying. They beat Man City. It, in the same way that we said it almost looks like, you know, the the fight for the top, but Liverpool could almost be on the way. Could, could at this point be the point people are starting to cash out on Norwich uh, for going down? Yeah, I, I would. And I would I would follow along with that. One of the big stories when they beat City was this idea of, oh, and they did it with all these injuries. And the assumption was, oh yeah, and those injuries will start to clear up and that just hasn't been the case. Um, they've had a dozen first team players injured for the last six weeks, which is which is absolute madness. Uh, a couple of them are out long term, but they're constantly having players injured, constantly. And, and it's affecting the entirety of the team, defence, midfield attack, even the goalkeeper Tim Krull has missed two games because of an injury. And that's meant the wheels have just come off. You know, there's a lot to like about Norwich. There's there's a lot to like about Daniel Fark. He's very honest and very kind of straight in the way that he talks about how he wants the game to be played. But I always say this with Bournemouth, when newly promoted sides play Bournemouth, particularly at the Vitality, it's a bit of a lesson for them because how is the master at, this is how you get your team up, this is how you stay up, this is how you develop, this is how you grow. And, and, he, and he passes that test every single season. And I think, you know, Unfortunately for Norwich, I think they're going to be in for another bit of a lesson. They got a bit of a lesson just before the international break when they got hammered by Villa, and I think it's going to go that way again this weekend against Bournemouth. Eddie Howe's side again, you know, he's he's a manager that doesn't believe in superstars. He believes in the value of the team, and everything about them is everything Norwich would want to be. But based on the issues that they're having, they're simply in- incapable of doing that. I've got this wonderful image in my head now, this mental image of Delia Smith walking around uh, Norwich. Kind of going, where are you? Where are you recreating the moment? Because everyone's in the physio. <laughs> um, Chelsea against Newcastle. Jay, United have played both these teams this season. You started the season with a thumping win over Chelsea and then got turned over by Newcastle. Like So you've first-hand experience of both these sides. Steve Bruce kind of, has he stumbled across a method of winning ugly? Yeah, I mean, for the Newcastle game, the United-Newcastle game, I felt it, we weren't really in it. I mean, we did have a lot of injuries. It was a bit of a makeshift team. But we can't make any excuses. Newcastle were good value, I felt, for their win. It wasn't a smash and grab. Newcastle deserved to win. And there's a, he seems to have... I mean, it's a bit early to say this sort of, oh yeah, he's definitely done it. But with that win and sort of what it's done, especially with the Longstaff brothers, got that sort of... Um, you know, the crowd are sort of behind the team, they're buying into what he's trying to do. Every, you know, the Geordies are very passionate and they love homegrown players as well. So because he's he's sort of tapping into that, and I think it, there is a little bit more sympathy for him because he's a, he's a sort of local guy himself. They hate Mike Ashley, so that sort of deflects slightly away from Bruce because, you know, it's not completely his fault, the situation they find themselves in. So I think, yeah, you, in answer to your question, he might have stumbled across something and I think he might have got that sort of 
community spirit back that Newcastle were famed for many years ago and that can help him because it, it is sort of close at the bottom where yes they've had a great result against United and they had a, good, a great result against Spurs as well but you know you have one bad result and all of a sudden you're back in trouble again and Chelsea obviously you know they're not going to be an easy team to beat because we know what, what they're capable of and I think when they played us at Old Trafford it's easy to say this now with retrospect but it did flatter to deceive a little bit they hit the post early on Sam Abrahams um, they were a relatively new side in terms of you know a lot of the players have come back off from loan. They've not played together. So this was like the first time they played in a proper game together. Um, I think um, Zuma had a bit of a nightmare as well. He had a bit of a shocker. Um, Kante wasn't fully fit. So there was mitigating circumstances that perhaps people didn't really look at. Now, a couple of months down the line, it's beginning to look you know, a completely different picture. Chelsea are sort of challenging for the top four. Lampard going back into what Bruce has done at Newcastle and getting that community spirit going. Chelsea fans are always going to love Frank Lampard. But because now they've got young players sort of homegrown players, which is unheard of at Chelsea, they've got a different sort of style and a different sort of um, aura about them. So it's it's weird that you're looking at Newcastle and Chelsea, where in the past you'd be looking at, going back many years, two big spending teams that had all these sort of international superstars. And now you're looking at two two managers and two teams that are sort of focused more on sort of young homegrown talent. Uh, Newcastle uh, winning something this week, sort of, unofficially. I don't know if you saw the tweet sent out by uh, at the Sports Social. Uh, which was about the teams with the most pubs within a quarter mile yes. of the ground. And I think uh, Newcastle romped home. St. James's <laughs> Park has 106 pubs it's incredible, w- within a quarter mile Nobody of the ground. Nobody even came close in second. 106. Yeah. crazy. Yeah. I don't even know. How is that even possible? That's the, well, I, I, I think our Christmas party should be in Newcastle. I think that really, yes. we should try yeah. and, and do as many of them and then do a podcast at each one. Are those just people's houses? This is a pub. Yeah, yeah. Pub. Honestly, we've got a big yeah. fridge. Come on, yeah. outside yeah. Old Trafford. Don't the people open the yeah. house and like, they sell cans from the garden? Yeah. Maybe that's what's going on near St. James's. Uh, Leicester against Burnley. Rich, uh, can Burnley like have... You know they they almost got relegated last season. Mm. I remember Leicester, like they went on to win the Premier League after nearly getting relegated. Could could we see a similar bounce with Burnley and not not win the thing, but maybe <laughs> get qualify for? Well, they don't want to qualify for Europa, but could they be challenging for the top six? Um, personally, I, I I don't think that's going to be possible based on the uh, based on the strength of uh, of sort of the other teams in the league. I think obviously we know the the usual suspects. You know, United, Spurs uh, have, have sort of. You know, had that had that slight uh, challenge, even obviously like Everton. Um, so I, I don't think they'll they'll sort of maintain um, the form they're on because at the moment they're they're, they're seventh. I mean, I, I think they'll. You know, Dyche always does a great job just to chip away and get those results. And and yeah, last year he survived relegation. I think this year they'll they'll hopefully, they'll they'll probably be looking maybe up a mid table something like that. I think I think Leicester's super interesting in terms of uh, obviously their. They're fourth at the moment, and I would definitely expect them to to finish in the top six. I think they'll. I think Leicester will win this game. You know, you can kind of see Madders coming back, probably with the bit between his teeth because the last few the, weeks. The bit had. or the the chip from the casino between well, his teeth. <laughs> <laughs> well, either for me, I mean, you know, he's he's got something to prove coming back. You know, he's had a. I think when you probably outed like that, and he's he was unlucky. Um, you know, obviously, to kind of get get ill and not get his his chance of finally getting some minutes for England, so he's coming going to come back with something to prove. And um, yeah, obviously, Leicester just before the break were unlucky against Liverpool. I think was it that like Milner 
winner. Penalty, yeah. Yeah, that sort of... Um, that blade of grass. Yeah. <laughs> that knocked out Marnie. Uh, uh, yeah, so so I think uh, Leicester all the way here, but probably one of the most interesting games of the weekend for me. Uh, Wolves against Southampton. Wolves had a terrible start to the season. Um, seemingly what happened with Burnley last season, that's playing in Europa, really messing up their league yeah. form. But I think they're unbeaten in five now. And of course... A, a win against Man City which we'll gloss over uh, yeah I, I think I'm, I'm pleased that they've come back to the fore and as you say unbeaten in five in all competitions and particularly in Europe they, they got that big win away at Besiktas to kind of get that monkey off their back in, in that they hadn't picked up a point in the group stages up until then but I can't believe I'm going to say this two weeks after they've just beaten the defending champions but I still don't think the corner's been fully turned the two games that they've won in the league have been Watford who've been horrendous so far this season and they had to beat them and then I just think it's very difficult to say this taking credit away from beating Man City but I don't think this was a kind of a performance where they looked like scoring or City kind of allowed them this I think this was a case of the two goals with Traore were two long balls forward and they just caught City in behind I also think they caught City on a bad day in terms of things weren't really clicking for them which is rare that it happens at the Etihad but in fairness to Wolves they took advantage of that what I'm saying in terms of turning the corner, if they want to replicate last season and get into the Europa League again, I think they've got a lot of work to do because I think the teams that are going to be battling with them, as you mentioned, the likes of Leicester and Burnley, for me, they look way more solid. And also, as you mentioned, they don't have the added thing of playing an extra dozen, possibly even more games in the Europa League and, and having that in their legs when we get to March and April time and, and the, the battle for six or the battle for seventh becomes really, really tight. Uh, so that's the games for the weekend. Speaking of battles, let's move on to the dirtiest team yes. in the Premier League. And let's see if we can come up with an even dirtier one. Now, this is thanks to a, a betting company which had a look at all the statistics and worked out who were statistically the dirtiest teams. Uh, coming away with uh, 18,660 booking points. That's 10 points for a yellow card, 25 for a red. Uh, were Chelsea 115 points more than second place Everton. Now, I did say that Derby County were, were up there as well. Now, when you break it down to per games played, Derby County are level with Chelsea, um, right? So obviously Derby County not in as, as much. So what I thought here is I, I, I've gone through and worked out who should be there in, in different positions in, in terms of... So I've actually brought this down. It's brilliant. <laughs> I, I had great fun this afternoon adding it all up. So uh, so I've got the, the red cards, the yellow cards and the games they played. So with that point system, I've then divided them together, a bit of maths, and come up with a dirty rating wow. for each player. Uh, so we'll uh, we'll have a look at that. <laughs> but uh, let's see. You know, This is just done purely on statistics. So feel free to contribute here with somebody that you've... Maybe you've seen it. Maybe you got splattered with blood. You were that close when the tackle came in. Maybe you heard the crunch of the broken bone. So let's go through and see. So, I mean, the the, the starting point of the goalkeeper seems almost the most difficult, but maybe you can suggest someone for me. Well, we've been kind of scribbling down names whilst we were going through the games there and thinking, of, you know, it's a difficult one. Who's the dirtiest goalkeeper? When you think of they're not really involved in these sort of situations. But it was actually the one that we were all unanimous, unanimous on, and that was Jens Lehmann from Arsenal. Um, and I think we all kind of went along the yeah. lines of, without really collecting that many bookings, I think he had two sendings off when he played for Arsenal. But just his attitude, every time there was an issue on the pitch, he was straight in there. He loved a good finger in the face, whether that was the referee, the opposition, and none more so than against United. The amount of incidents that he was he was responsible for. And also, he was a great man for when things had fizzled out, he'd kind of run around the back and give someone a shove or get in someone's face. And it was, it was never, ever ending with him. And particularly with United, 
in all honesty, was I pleased to see him doing it against Manchester United? Yeah. But when you look back, you just think, how is he getting away with this? How is, I, I, and he used to get away with murder. I always have that image of him and Drogba when they were pushing each other. Yeah. That, that sticks in my mind whenever I think of Lehman, that, that sort of handbags <laughs> where it was like pushing each other. These yeah. two absolute units units yeah. pushing each other over, barely touching each other and throwing themselves to the floor, holding the faces. It was a comedy gold on it. So yeah, Lehman was... Uh, was yeah, I, I, I think for his personality, we'll, we'll take him in, but we've got to give an honourable mention to uh, Yossi Yaskalainen, who... Uh, <laughs> He had four sending-offs while playing for Bolton. Wow. Right, two in one season. 2001-2002, right, he got uh, two red cards and four yellows in the season as the goalkeeper. That's decent, that. That's, 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 that's a lot, lot of time wasting, that. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> a lot big, of time wasting. That big Sam's uh, yeah, instructions exactly. there. Follow them to the yeah. last one. Yeah, well, there you go. That could be coming into United soon. Oh, I Ding. don't know. Everyone, every time, every time. Right, let's, let's look in the defence then. Who, who are you suggesting for our back four? So, um going to start with the right back. And uh, for me, there was really only one option here, and that was uh, Mr. Lucas Neal. Um, absolute brute. Um, Australian nutter. Um, very square head. And uh, yeah, just loved loved sort of diving in with two feet and going very high or just leaving something in and gave a lot of afters. Um, when uh, I mean, there's probably a few of the shouts on right back, but I used to like Neil. He was actually a really good player, but yeah, was just totally bonkers. And um, and yeah, was at the we were looking at clips before, and there was one particularly great challenge of his when he just totally two footed Carragher um, looked horrendous. And uh, I was actually at that game, so that was one when I was uh, which I was close to. I think also he was sort of running side by side with Cisse when he did that when no yeah with Cisse when he did his horrendous leg break, yeah. but I don't think that was actually his fault. Um, but yeah, he was a bit of a he was on the scene though. He was, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think everyone immediately thought that it was him. Uh, that might be my sort of. Uh, you can tell he's dirty as well because I've forgotten about him completely. And so yeah. you mentioned him. My first thing at thought was, oh yeah, he was a dirty bastard. Yeah, 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 he really, really was. As you say, just the tackles where he just go th- literally go through, through someone. Yeah, but he was yeah. always he's also the master of hopping up and being like, what, 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 oh, yeah. It's great. I uh, yeah. I mean, unfortunately, the the Premier League don't keep statistics for afters, uh, which which would be great to see that. And I mean, maybe it will come in because you know that if you go back and you look at the early days of the Premier League now, they they have all these categories for like aerial battles won and all yeah. that. And because they weren't viewed in the same way and they haven't got video footage of all the games, they, they can't put that in. So it just it's blank for all those. But maybe that's something uh, we can see in future. Oh, um, so I, I, I'm going to put an alternative for you, and I'll let you nice. choose. Um, and it's it's more for one tackle than anything else because uh, he I think he had a similar disciplinary record, um, and that's Ben Thatcher. Ooh, he, we yes. did talk about yeah, him. Yeah, he was in the yeah. mix, and yeah. and that that tackle that he did against Mendes. Was, yeah in Portsmouth. Now now Mendes had scored two cracking goals against City. I think it was in the the last yeah. game out to worldies, and um, I, I think pretty much that was the end of his City career. Now that actual tackle he only got a yellow card for. And then afterwards, he, he got disciplined. It was upgraded, um, so he was fined and banned for eight games yeah. because of the how how bad the tackle was. I watched was. it again just before this when we were thinking of it, and it was elbow bang in, totally clean out. It was awful. Yeah, was yeah, yeah. yeah. So again, he's another player that as soon as you mention him, yeah, I can't remember one thing he did on a football yeah. pitch other than being a thug. 
Yeah. Like, I can't, you know, that's automatically. Yeah. Consistent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's good. That's good. That, that's, his brand is clear. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> a really great thing. All right. Who else are we putting across the back for? Uh, so, centre backs, we, we've gone for a kind of split decision between Jay and myself here. Uh, one uh, kind of rolling back the years and one a bit more recent. Uh, I've gone for Ryan Shawcross, which again, we all remember one incident, or maybe that's just me that remembers one incident when it comes to Ryan does, Shawcross. Does the other person remember the incident? Uh, <laughs> they, well, it depends. Uh, I know three, two and a half, three thousand Arsenal fans that do remember it, and that was when he broke Aaron Ramsey's leg. Uh, I've never been in an away end. In fact, I've never been in a stadium with such quiet after it happened. Um, and in fairness, the years that have followed, Stoke fans haven't covered themselves in glory in the way that they behave towards Ramsey, but on the night itself, they the whole ground... Uh, what was it? The Britannia Stadium. It was then absolute silence, um, and it's one of those examples where you know something really bad has happened. Like everyone always likes to say, "Oh, you know, I think I think this happened. I think this happened." We had no idea. It was so far back. We just knew something really His horrendous leg happened. Was like falling yeah. off, and just the, yeah. the nature of the tackle. Like it's one of the things that you, you know you you accidentally fall down fall down a YouTube wormhole, and you, and you see the tackle over and over again. And the thing that always rankles with me is that. Ramsey didn't see him coming and he knew Ramsey was... I think it was Glenn Whelan, actually, because he did an interview afterwards where he stayed on the floor with Ramsey and stopped him from going into shock. Ramsey came out from behind Whelan and Shawcross knew that's where he was coming and he just came in like a bus and and I'll, I'll never forgive him for that. And I think it's not just that that we hold up against him. There's There's been incidents after that where he's he's demonstrated this side of his game that's, that's pretty horrendous. So do you, do you want to know what his dirty rating comes out as? Because <laughs> I'm, I'm just working Sounds like something and... for a different podcast, <laughs> yeah. if I'm being completely honest. So uh, that, we that need to be recording this a bit later. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, so basically, so he had five red cards, 58 yellow cards. Uh, that gives wow. him a combined score wow. of 705. So over the 317 games he played, uh, that gives him a dirty rating of 2.22, which incredibly is actually higher than my suggestion of Richard Dunn. Uh, that's probably because uh, Dunny played a lot more games. Uh, he had eight yellow cards, which is still a, a record with somebody else that might be mentioned. Uh, but he only comes out at 2.18 per game. So I will give you Ryan Shawcross. Right. Thank you. My suggestion for centre-back, which again was sort of immediate, was Neil Ruddock. Oh. And there's several reasons. One that sticks in the memory. I think it was actually a reserve game, if memory serves, where he broke both of Andy Cole's legs. That's mm. that's in well, it's it's yeah. I was Jesus. gonna say impressive, yeah. but that's the wrong way. Um, it was like a horror t- tackle, um, and I'm, forgive me while I name drop here. I was Brian McClare. I was with him once, and he told me about driving Andy Cole home, and Andy Cole was moaning, and he was like, oh, "Stop moaning, you're all right." And he actually <laughs> broke both his legs. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no way. Yeah. Okay, so you know, Premier League footballer, both legs broken, and then was driven home by a teammate. Yeah, and it was like, how, how times have yeah, changed? The it's 90s, not that bad. Right? Stop whinging. Come on. And then it turns out, yeah, he had two. He had a fracture in each leg. Um, and not just that with Ruddock. He was a thug. He was that type of player, and he reveled in it. Yeah, he loved, yeah. It. loved it. The razor Ruddock nonsense. Yeah, I, the thing is, that there's a bit of a clear in that. It's, it's almost like a mafia nickname, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And it was like, and he, he wasn't, I, I, might, I might be misremembering, but I don't think he was that good. He was a decent defender. He wasn't that good. He was just well known for sort of sticking his foot in, for pulling shirts, for elbowing, for doing anything he could to sort of stop the opposition getting a goal and not in a good way. And I think, yeah, like I say, he loved all that sort of nonsense and, and that's how I remember him. Uh, left back, a uh, bit of a hat tip to our boss, Jim. Uh, we have to have a, a West Ham shout in here and that's Julian Dix. Um, there'll be probably people listening to the podcast that will say, who? YouTube him. Like you, he's just terrifying. There's no, there's no clip where he's playing where 
his shirt isn't half ripped off and he looks like he's ready to eat somebody. Um, and again, just <laughs> similar to like Jay was saying before about Ruddock, um, just the tackles that he would jump in for. Nothing was nothing was out of bounds. You could see a winger could have got past him and he'd just, he'd just kick him. Not even look at the ball, he'd just kick him, kick him off the pitch. Um, but if there's one thing, one thing that I will say, and, and Jim did say this when he recommended we put Julian Dix in, what a penalty taker. If he had one redeeming feature, he gave away a lot of penalties, but when it was his turn, yeah. he'd so bang it in the back of the I'm a goalkeeper. I've seen him tackle. If he's taking a penalty, he's scoring all day. Because <laughs> yeah. I'm that frightened of him playing. There does seem to be players of a certain generation, and I wonder if that's as much to do with the rule change. But let's see as we move on through to midfield now. Who have you got? So... Uh, uh, first, first name that came to me was uh, Catamol. Oh, Lee. Yeah, I would hate to play against him. He's just chipping away, being a bit of a nonsense the whole game, all season. Yeah, every don't, season. Every season. Don't fancy Catamol for me. Uh, okay. I mean, I'd find him an annoyance more than like he was, he's <laughs> dirty though. He's you. He's like if you're putting a bet on and you fancy a yellow or red card, Lee Catamol. Again, I think he's the master of the yellow. I think the amount of times you know you can check the numbers on this. He's the master the of index. the yellow yeah. card or the or the double yellow to get a red. <laughs> it's just accumulative, and you know it'd be doing a disservice to his dirty status to say, "Oh, you know, he was just a, a shirt puller." No, there was tackles, um, particularly to, towards the end of uh, Sunderland season when they got relegated, where he was very, very fortunate not to really hurt people. Some real incidents where he just leave his studs in, go over the ball, uh, and again, a bit like. Lucas Neal, he's one of these players that is always in the ref's face. No, 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 nothing happened, nothing happened. Right, he's on the floor, Lee. He's on the floor. Like, maybe just see if he's all right. No, okay, whatever. But yeah, Lee, I, I would, I would agree with that completely. I, I Lee Catamol. Yeah, I don't think anyone can stick up for Lee Catamol. Yeah. It's just impossible. Uh, yeah, I don't even think his mum sticks up. No, for him. exactly. <laughs> Mrs. Catamol would uh, would agree with us. Um, the one that I think we all agreed on was Joey Barton, a man who's just synonymous with nonsense, as Rich was saying there. Yeah, he was always up to no good. I remember the the. I can't believe I'm bringing this game up, but the three two against QPR with City, where not only did he get sent off, he tried to take half the City team with him, yeah. and failed. I also actually admired that for, by him, like good effort, but you know it didn't quite work out. I remember once against Blackburn as well. You'll probably remember Rich where he punched more more scams Peterson Pedersen sorry in the chest how can you punch Pedersen I know he's like the nicest yeah, yeah, man yeah, ever yeah, and he punched yeah, him in the chest yeah, and then did that whole thing of going to the no no I just sort of stroked his yeah, chest yeah. ref and no, the ref was properly, like what are you talking about he did about? actually that was a big punch yeah but so he's just a horrible character yeah. but that's what gets him his dirty status in that it's these types of schneid situations that get you your dirty status I, I think as well it was what he did off the pitch as well yeah. uh, like you know so there was the famous <laughs> one in tunnels he ran out of ashtrays and used someone's eyeball like that. Jamie Tandy, I, I was trying to find out what what happened to him since he was oh, the yeah, he was the youth player. Yeah, yeah. He, he was he was the youth player uh, back in two thousand and four at a Christmas party. You know, season of goodwill. He put a cigar out in his eye, as you do to the yeah. youth team. It's a you know nice little way of ingratiating you. Got to put it out somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he also uh, detached the retina of Usamani Darbo. In training, yeah. yeah, it yeah. just it, it happens. Uh, you bump into someone, their retina becomes yeah. displaced. He also he also punched uh, Mark Morton Gantz Penderson as well. So there must have been maybe he was just wound people up. Well, I mean, you know, yeah, again, I, yeah, you, that that that's the that's the ultimate disgrace for me. Yeah, that's that's, that's <laughs> at least though, to be fair to Joey Barton, at least in management he's calmed down. Can I just say so? Yeah. Uh, Joey Barton scores. He comes out pretty highly on this. 
Uh, he didn't play that many games in the Premier League because of the teams he was playing for, but six, yellow, six red cards, 78 yellow, 269 games, gives him 930 dirty points and a dirty rating of 3.46. Oh, that's high. Which yeah. is almost the same as my Uber rating. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, 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 uh, there's an obvious one from another side of Manchester. Nobody suggested them yet. Well, I think I know who you're going to say, and we, for, for very different reasons, Jay and I won't have a word said against him because... Well, maybe we're talking about a different person here, but I think we're talking about the same person. You're talking about, yeah, you're talking Mr. about Mr. R. K. Or yeah, yeah. Well, we won't say his name out loud because yeah. he comes to find us. But just purely from that Alfinger Harlan thing, that's all. No, I mean. but I, I just think the reason for this, the dirty eleven or dirty players. When I think of Roy Keane, I don't think of him as dirty. I think of bad tackles, and I do think of red cards. But I just think of him. I think of him losing the rag and getting sent off. I think of that yeah, famous semi final against us where he got sent off. I don't. Yes, I do obviously think of the Harlan challenge, but I don't associate him with being dirty. I don't associate him with him going around and kicking people. I, I associate him with terrifying people and losing his rag and get setting off. But when I look at him and look at someone like Joey Barton, I think the thing no. with Keno as well is he, he was a, an excellent footballer. He was, yeah. you know, United's captain for Which the Barton best part isn't. of a decade. You know, and some of his performances were sort of you know phenomenal. Whereas Joey Barton, Lee Catamol, are we really remembering them for the amazing performances they put in? No, I'm certainly not. Yeah, interesting enough. I just went to double check it, but Lee Catamol actually scores higher than Joey Barton on the dirty rating. Lee Catamol wow. comes up with three point eight nine. That's probably the wow. time he's been. He's yeah. been Catamol was around for a long time, and <laughs> unfortunately, Sunderland managers just kept picking him for some, for some strange reason. Had, uh, there's a there's a few Blackburn. There's a, there's a bit of a Blackburn thread throughout this because uh, we in sort of the. Uh, attacking positions now, we went for uh, Bellamy and El Hajduf. Um, Ooh, sort yeah. of both players, almost different uh, different qualities when it comes to being dirty. You know, El Hajduf are just nasty. You know, yeah. again, another one you just. There's no level where against. he wouldn't drop to. Yeah, exactly. And- was it, was it El Hajduf that, that was arrested for theft? During, was that? Am I thinking the right play during the World Cup? I'm not sure. There's probably more on it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, lawyers number if you want to get into the legal team. El Hajjouf stitched up Bobby El, Moore. That's what you said. El Hajjouf though, he was one of those players that seemed to rile everyone, didn't he? Like yeah. spitting. Yeah. I remember once he accused fans of throwing bananas at him, and then they checked there was no bananas on the pitch. He just made it up. He was just one of wow. those that was just like anything went with him. He yeah. would do anything he could. Even now, to, him, to rile him and Gerard have like slanging matches. Yeah. He sort of discredits what Gerard did, which is absolutely. He's like, well, yeah, Gerard might have won the Champions League, but I played in the World Cup and scored. <laughs> and he's like, no, that's great. It's better than anything I've done, but it's it's a bit mad. Um, but he's just, you are right. He's one of them players that every single club he's played for, and there's been quite a few Blackpool, um, sorry, Blackburn fans. Would they have anything positive to say about him? No, I don't think Liverpool don't fans really would say like the him. same. And I, yeah. I, I just think spitting. I think we can all like yeah. when you look at again this dirty side of it. Do you remember when Neil Warnock called him a, a sewer just, rat yeah. and then signed him? <laughs> <laughs> was that, ah, the double standards of Neil. No, 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 no. That, <laughs> is a, that is a negotiation tactic. To yeah. Get him yeah. He's Neil, lower than a sewer rat. Yeah. Neil Warnock plans everything out. Very. Do, have, I, I don't know if you've been been at a game where Neil Warnock's been, but when they do the post-match presser, you have to wait for Neil Warnock. Because unlike every other like manager that will just come out and talk straight to the press or maybe like have a shower or whatever, Neil Warnock will have a bath. <laughs> so Neil Warnock has a bath after a game and then comes and meets the press. that's not where you have to do the interview. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, didn't, I didn't tell you how I know. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, then, then we went for, for Bellamy. I think Bellamy's slightly different because he was a good player, good goal scorer. 
Um, and so it was like at least entertaining to watch, but did have that uh, nuisance centre. Yeah. And yeah. I know about that at Old Trafford. Yeah. When he chinned one of our poor, poor innocent fans who just happened to stumble onto the pitch accidentally. Yeah, and, you've, you've and then never, Bellamy chinned him. You've never had a United player that's <laughs> taken out a fan, have you? <laughs> don't know what you mean. I can't think of one. No, 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 you know, yeah. It doesn't, doesn't spring to mind. Yeah. Uh, and then can't on a different note. <laughs> and then to lead the line, yeah. uh, you need you need a kind of king sewer rat or king big dog to lead the line. Um, and this was probably the thing that we had the most disagreement over. Who who do you want to be your centre forward? Who's the dirtiest centre forward? Uh, and we 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 kind of went to a bit of a vote on this, and we went for Kevin Davies. Oh really? Um, and everybody, he was he was actually the one player where I think we all had a story to go. Yeah. We, everybody kind of went. Yeah, mm, I remember yeah. when yeah, everybody yeah. has a For bad me, story to tell about. Tom him. Cleverley was never the same player after Kevin Davis got hold of him. He literally was a United regular and he never really recovered from it. He was out <laughs> after Kevin Davis was stamped on his ankle. And he was out for six weeks, and he's you know he's now warming Watford's bench in it. So that's now well. officially according to the Premier League site, Kevin Davis has ninety nine yellow cards, but elsewhere he's credited with hundred and one. I'm not quite sure how that happened. Give it to him. Let's get. Let's get. He can have it. He can have what he wants because if he comes around, <laughs> a, lock, a locked door will not stop that man coming in. Um, I'm surprised you didn't go for Duncan Ferguson. Actually, oh, he was he was back up, but again, it's one of these things of. Maybe slightly with the, the, the reason why we left Key now. I have Ferguson down as a madman more than a dirty. Player. It's weird. You have almost like a bit of respect for someone yeah. like Ferguson because he, he you know, he it was, was straight the way that he acted. You know, did he yeah. also prison once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah like, he, and then he, he, he battered yeah. that burglar yeah. into his house. <laughs> yeah, there's like a respect and a genuine feel with some like Bell, uh, some like likes of Bellamy and Davies. So he right. was. I, I think I have was, respect for Bellamy. I'm going to. Yeah, Bellamy, no, no. Yeah. The thing is, though, I'll be having respect for these people because we're a little bit frightened of them. It's like that healthy respect because Bellamy might come round with a golf club. I'm not. I'm not frightened of El Hajjouf. I'd say of all this team, he's the one. I, I was of. at the driving range last night. I'll take him on. <laughs> you're, uh, on your, you're on your own. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 would, I would really put forward a case for for Duncan Ferguson. Uh, he headbutted uh, John McStay when he was playing yeah. for Rangers. Had three months in prison yeah. because of that. And the, the this is the only one that I was able to get the figures I'll on. Laugh, boy. It's wow. just, yeah. just quality. Um, Come on. The, the, he's level on most red cards with Patrick Vieira and Richard Dunn in the Premier League. And he also leads the line in terms of the most fines. It's estimated that about uh, £200,000 over no. the years is how much he paid in fines. And this is going back to the 90s as 200 well. 200 grand? Yeah. That's that, that, is, that is ridiculous. But but then again... Yeah. But there's no, there was never any half measures with him. Like Again, you think back to incidents. I remember the one against Leicester with Stefan Freund. And you could see... Stefan Freund, there was, you can actually see the point in Freund's eyes and his face when the, his eyes are nearly bursting out, where he's like, hang on a minute, we were just having a bit of beef at a corner. Now I could die. Like <laughs> this you've you've gone you've gone past too far. This is this is on another level here, Dunk. Like you're having a bit of aggro, the corner hasn't even happened yet. And now my eyes are nearly coming out of my head. I'm you know, we're I'm a German international here, like I can't die on the pitch. And and Ferguson just didn't give a shit. Did he? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I just I don't know with me, I just sort of kind of like him, <laughs> well, just, you're, you're looking really nervous. Yeah, I love you too, Duncan. <laughs> yeah, just in case I'll give you Fergal's address, <laughs> Duncan. I've got your back. Uh, I think we'll we'll call it there before we get ourselves into more trouble with the really hard guys that, are, that might come around for afters, as they say. So, thank you very much, gentlemen. Uh, Jay, 
Fergal, Rich, thank you very much for joining us thank you. on the uh, Football Thanks Social. So we'll be back with another show on Sunday as soon as all the games have finished. It just leaves me to say thank you very much for taking the time to listen to this episode of the Sports Social Daily. It is the Premier League preview edition. And remember, you can listen to this podcast via Acast. Just hit subscribe so you'll get the next episode as soon as possible. And you can also follow us on Twitter at the Sports Social. I'm Ant McGinley and we'll see you next time. Premier League Daily from Sports Social. Subscribe to the podcast now and never miss an episode. 